welcome to the LA Soccer Hub Show. My name is Gio Garcia. Today is Wednesday, December 2nd, the year of 2020, the last month of the year of this crazy year. Finally made it to December. We're still talking some soccer. There's still a lot, a lot of uh, MLS playoffs going on. You have uh, the, the Seattle Sounders, who are the first one to make it out of the Western Conference. You got tomorrow's Sporting KC versus Minnesota. And on the other side, you got uh, New England moves on and faces Columbus. Uh, New England Revolutions with Bruce Arena. They're looking solid with the solid squad. Columbus showing how powerful they are. So we have we know who are, who are the, 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 the teams on the Eastern Conference. We're, we're going to find out tomorrow uh, for the Western Conference. But we're also going to talk about the, the 2020 roster moves uh, for both LAFC and LA Galaxy. And, you know, talk about some of those decisions and what we see of the future for both of those clubs. And here to help me talk all about it all is Kevin Baxter. Kevin, how are you doing? All right. How are you? Pretty good, Kevin. Happy uh, Thanksgiving. Happy holidays. I know it's been a it's been a couple of weeks since we last spoke. Yeah, I got the Christmas uh, lights up and the Christmas tree up. So cruising from here on out. Yeah, yeah, right. So I, I also got my neighbors out here having the lights. I, I brought out the Christmas tree bag, but I didn't get to bring in out the Christmas tree. So I've been a, I've been a little slow on doing that. You got to get going. What's yeah. ready? Well, the the good thing is that my Christmas tree comes with it, it's not a real Christmas tree, but it comes with lights. So and yeah. and it's and it's pretty big. It's about six feet. So once you get it all set up, it looks nice. It looks fancy. But I just got to get to it. But um, but yeah, so let, let's talk about um, you wrote you wrote a great article on some of the off season moves uh, on the some of the uh, end season moves at LAFC um, did this past season. And, you know, I think it's great to highlight the article on, you know, just the certain decisions that the front office made, the coaching decisions, and ultimately to what led LAFC with an inconsistent year. Obviously, we saw them get knocked down the first round of the playoffs against Seattle. Um, talk to me a little bit about the article that you wrote and some of those decisions that LAFC made. You mean talking about the roster decisions? Yeah. It, uh, Monday was the day for all teams that are not in the playoffs to release their uh, uh, decisions about contract extensions, whether they would pick up a, a, uh, um, a contract option that a player had or whether they would decline it. In other words, in the case of Carlos Vela, when he came here, he signed a three-year contract with a, with a one-year club option. So, after three years, which has passed, that the club has the option, do we want to bring him back or not? And it's a club option. And so the teams teams have to make those decisions, uh, which players are out of contract, if they're going to try to keep them. In the LAFC's case, that would be uh, Dayon and, and uh, um, Harvey. They're both out of contract. They had to decide whether they want to bring them back. So all those decisions had to be made uh, by the teams that are not in the playoffs, had to be made Monday. Um, so that would be the Galaxy and LAFC. But you've seen teams around the league – be very, very conservative, basically, as the Galaxy did, basically bringing back large portions of the roster. There's been very uh, few uh, dramatic moves. I think a lot of that has to do with the economic situation and with COVID and not knowing whether next season will start with fans in the stands. As we know, the league and all the teams have taken a financial bath. So no one's making any big moves. No one's bringing in, at least right now, no one's bringing in you know, a big European player or someone from South America. They're all playing it pretty close to the vest. And so you're not seeing a lot of surprising decisions. Um, LAFC picked up the option on Carlos Vela, picked an option on, on Moose, and they picked up the option on, on Pablo Cisniega. Um, they did not try to sign Jokovic or Harvey those two will become free agents later this month. They can still negotiate. They can still come back to LAFC, but LAFC will will lose the exclusive rights to negotiate with them 
uh, once they declare for free agency, if they do uh, decide not to retire, once they declare for free agency later this month, the one surprising decision to me was Bradley Wright Phillips, who mm-hmm. was comeback player of the year, second on the team in goals and assists, eight goals, six assists, was really important for LAFC when Carlos Vela did not go to the MLS's back tournament and became very important when Carlos Vela got hurt and couldn't play. And then when Dio, you know, because by the time they came back from Orlando, if you remember, Diomandi had already gone back uh, to Europe. So Bradley Wright Phillips was a huge, huge piece of the team this year. Um, and LAFC decided that they would not pick up his his option on the contract. Now they can still talk to him too. They can sign him. They can sign him for a cheaper price. It's similar, I think, to what the Galaxy did with Rolf Felcher. Um, they did not pick up his contract uh, option, but they are still talking to him. The idea would be, uh, look, we're not going to honor the language in the contract and bring you back for this amount of money. We're going to throw that contract out and start all over again. I would expect that LAFC is going to sign Bradley Wright Phillips. Um, so I, I don't think he's going anywhere. I think this is all just a monetary thing. They'll continue negotiating. He He's 35. He loved it here. The team needs him. I think he'll be back. Uh, I think it's just a matter of trying to get him uh, on a cheaper deal. Yeah, and I, and I wonder how eager he, he he would be to to sign that to sign for less money. Obviously, if he's happy and everything makes sense. Um, the reason I say that is because um, were you surprised that he was subbed out uh, at halftime? I, I, as far as I know, I don't think it was for a substitution. I think it was more tactical. That's that's the understanding that I have. Um, you know, they, they brought up, uh, I think Chari was, was the one subbed in for him at halftime. And I understood that it was a tactical decision unless it was a uh, injury, which we don't know. Like you mentioned, he was a comeback player of the year, but to me, if it was a tactical decision, uh, in a playoff game, I was surprised that he only played 45 minutes out of 90 minutes. Um, are you surprised by that decision? And I also think that he's also bringing a lot of interest. He also has a lot of interest from a lot of other clubs around the league. Well, here's why I think he comes back. I think he really enjoyed his time, unless something went wrong, that, again, that we don't know about. Remember, he missed, what, two or three games, I think two games at the end of the year, dealing with what was described as a personal matter. And and when it's a personal matter, generally, you know, the journalists don't press on that, um, uh, and the club doesn't divulge any information. So personal matter could be basically anything you want it to be. Um, was that an issue with the club? Did he maybe know they weren't going to renew his contract? Was he... Uh, holding his breath until he turned blue. I mean, was there a situation that he was unhappy with the club? So we don't know what that that was, but we do know that he came back from those two games off to play in the playoff game. Maybe he wasn't 100% fit. That could have been part of the issue. Another thing, it's midway through the half, there was a play in front of the net where Stefan Fry, the Seattle goalkeeper, came out to bat away across, and he wound up hitting uh, Bradley Red Phillips in the head. I I wrote in my game story that night, uh, I related his uh, substitution to the injury. I thought that, you know, he was down on the turf for quite some time and I thought it might've been a a concussion protocol thing. You're right. The team said it was tactical. It didn't make any sense to me because at that point you had Christian Torres, a 16 year old playing up front. Um, You needed Bradley Wright Phillips and his experience, even if he wasn't a hundred percent, I was surprised he came out, but um, I, I figured it would have more to do with the injury. If in fact uh, Bob Bradley didn't think he was performing, um, you know, maybe that did play uh, a role in in his contract not being renewed. Uh, but at 35, I don't think he's going anywhere. I don't think uh, you're, you're right. I mean, some teams are interested in him, but I don't think anyone's going to give him the the kind of uh, platform that LAFC uh, gave him. So I kind of expect that, uh, you know, if, if he wants to come back, 
um, and the team wants him back, and I think they do, they'll work something out. One thing John, excuse me, John Thornton, the general manager, did is um, there were not a lot of decisions to make this year. You had to pick up Vela. That was a no-brainer. They were going to do that. But other than that, um, you know, Cisniega is not going to cost them a ton of money. Moose is not going to cost them anything. Um, I, I think everybody knew that Jokovic and Harvey, given their age, mid-30s, that they were probably not going to get contracts, um, would have to try to come back as free agents. Um, but Thornton did a great job. He has already extended contract extensions to Mark Anthony Kay, Latif Blessing, uh, Diego Rossi is signed, Brian Rodriguez is signed. You know, he had set things up so that everybody was signed and ready to go. Um, that we'll see what happens financially. I mean, he signed them to contracts pre-pandemic, uh, knowing that, you know, expecting money to be there. Now those guys are signed to, to, to contracts that they still have to pay. Um, it could be a financial problem for LAFC going forward. But as far as the decisions on who to sign and who to bring back, I think it was a pretty easy offseason for John Thorrington. Yeah, no, I, I think it's going to, once the transfer window comes, it's going to be a little bit more interesting um, because obviously of the names of Diego Rossi and Brian Rodriguez, we'll get into a little bit later. But I just want to go back on the point of Bradley Wright Phillips. Um, I just think he becomes a little bit more attractive to other teams that may or may not need a need a need a forward yeah i get he's a little bit older but if you can have him come off the bench or you know that's a that's what at this stage of his career not saying that he can't start but you know we haven't seen him finish any games with lafc maybe that was because of about that's how bob rally wanted to play him that's how lafc maybe wanted to play him um but i think he does become attractive to other teams and obviously like you said there was a personal issue there a personal matter i should say that we're not aware of but I think he does become attractive to the teams at a higher price for LAFC. I think they're kind of set on a, on a bringing them back on a lower price. And also you also have Danny Masovsky that is essentially looks like potentially could be your number nine starter, depending where, where you play Vela on the wing, or, you know, sometimes you play Vela uh, as, as the false number nine and you have other wing players. So I think it's just, it's going to be very interesting to see because he, he does, he, he has, he's going to go to free agency. He's going to see what, what else is out there. You also have, you know, Austin FC, you know, the new clubs are coming in. They may want to pick him up. You know, there's, I feel like there's a lot more interest for Bradley Wright Phillips uh, for a lot of teams around the league. And I, and I wouldn't be surprised if he does not stay with, with LAFC. And, and, uh, and on another point, there's also like um, what you mentioned, uh, Djokovic and Harvey. Those are, those are kind of like no-brainers. Uh, Harvey's getting cl- closer to his end of his career. Djokovic looked a lot of sh- very shaky th- th- this year. I'm interested to see what happens with Mohamed Moir. His contract um, expires at the end of this year. I'm interested to see what they what they do. Um, it says right here. I'm just reading. Um, Elmonier will be eligible for the MLS re-entry draft process. So I'm assuming that's that means that a team can pick him up, right? Uh, an expansion team can pick him up. So that, that well, what that means is any team can pick him up. Any but, team. Yeah. Um, what it does is it just simply prevents him from. Uh, from selling himself to the highest bidder, he doesn't. He's not a free agent. He has to be drafted by a team, and then that's the team that he, the only team he can negotiate with. So it just sort of prevents the whole free agency thing. One thing that's really interesting about this, though, is I think you said at the top that everybody that's on the roster now, all these roster mechanisms take effect at the end of the season. MLS roster um, contracts go through December 31st. So it, up until New Year's Eve, everything is the same. Um, we, you said you know Harvey's out of contract. Well, he's not out of contract until December 31st. Mm-hmm. 
That's important because LAFC and uh, a couple of other MLS teams still have the CONCACAF Champions League to play in Orlando later this month. Now, normally the season's over, uh, CONCACAF Champions League is over by now. So it's, it, it, there's no impact. And you notice that the teams that are in the playoffs did not have to make these contract decisions. Why? Because it's very, it can be very touchy for a team. LAFC has already gone to Bradley Wright Phillips and said, essentially, we don't want you back, at least at that price. They've said to Harvey and Yelkovic, we're not interested in you anymore. You know, we're letting your contracts expire. Now these guys have to go play in this, in this CONCACAF Champions League, maybe three games in seven days if LAFC makes it to the final. That's going to be tough. You know, hey, Bradley Red Phillips, would you go in there and sacrifice your body and try to score a goal? Why, why should he do that now yep. when he knows that? Why should he tear up his knee when he knows he's a free agent? You know what I mean? And so that's why playoff teams don't have to do that. And, uh, again, normally when, uh, you know, MLS comes up with this calendar, they figure Champions League and everything else is over. Um, so it, it can be – I'm not saying that any player is going to perform – you know, less than hundred percent. I'm not suggesting that I'm just suggesting that it is a little bit uncomfortable mm-hmm. for a team to say to a player, go out there and sacrifice everything you have and give us all you have. Uh, but you're not coming back after this game. Yeah. And no, that was, you know, that was my next point is how, how motivated are some of these players going to want to be to do that? Maybe, but this also gives them on the other side, gives them an opportunity to try out for other teams. If they do lay it out on the line, but if you do pick up an injury or something like that, you're essentially hurting yourself. And I say you only play one game or, you know, something good happens and you guys go all the way. LAFC goes all the way. So there's there's a lot of a lot of things going on, a lot of moving pieces going on. The good thing for LAFC is that they I'm assuming that they will have all their players back. They may have a healthy Danny Masovsky who was not who is not uh, available. The team has not disclosed what kind of injury he's had. So it makes, I think it's a lot more serious. And, you know, whenever they tell us any type of injuries, they always typically try to play a downplay. And Danny Mosevsky was not even uh, on on the roster for this. And Bob Riley didn't tell us. We found out, I think the day before the day of, or as soon as lineups uh, came out, you know, and I reached out to see what the injury was and didn't give no information. So it tells me whenever that happens, that tells me that this injury is a lot more serious that then that would then we uh, first assume one thing I just also want to hit on hit on before we move. Um, so conversations also still going with Jesus Mourinho. If I recall correctly, it was a loan to buy option on Jesus Mourinho. I think it was three hundred thousand, uh, and then you they would purchase them for up to a million dollars. I think that's I think those are the numbers, and I think that's what LAFC they're they're talking their their ongoing conversations. Well, I think that's if they want to pick them up for the Colombian side, the number is already there. There's I don't know how much negotiation there's going to be because that's what they wrote the contract during the season. So is if do they want to pay the million dollars to bring back Jesus Mourinho? And is he going to be the guy Did LAFC see that LAFC uh, see enough of Jesus Mourinho in in the short amount of time that he was with LAFC? It looked like it. It looked like that's a player that they may want to have moving forward. He's a big, solid body. Um, are they going to want to pay the one one million dollars? Is if that's what the price tag is to bring them, um, bring them back with the black and gold? We know they gave up uh, Walker Zimmerman for I think one point two five million dollars, and now they're paying close to the same amount. So I, I think it's just kind of interesting how that all played out for uh, LAFC. What do you think about Jesus Mourinho? Do you think he comes back? And also give me your thoughts on the the whole Walker Zimmerman thing now that the the MLS season has ended for both 
parties. Well, yeah, I mean, what what they're doing with Mario and the and the club in Colombia is, is they are talking. I, I I don't know if that million dollar figure is right, but I do know that they're negotiating with the club in Colombia. Whatever amount they agreed to, I don't think LAFC wants to pay that, or at least they're trying to to talk them down a little bit. I think, uh, and it's funny you mentioned a, a million dollars for. Uh, Jesus Murillo, that's what um, they got from Walker Zimmerman. So if I, I don't, I'm, I'm not saying that this is was their thought process, but when you look at the money, they traded Walker Zimmerman for Jose. Uh, exactly. Jesus yeah. Murillo. Walker Zimmerman is the defender of the year. Nashville gave up less than a goal uh, a game this season. That was the best defensive performance by an expansion team in MLS history. Um, you know, they went three games deep into the playoffs if that was what LAFC did, they made a big mistake. Um, you know, I think they also made a mistake in bringing in Kenneth Vermeer. We know that that deal, we don't know what his salary is. Salaries have not been released this year um, because of COVID. A lot of players had their salaries bought down and, and some of the salary information is going to make sense anyways. But what we do know is it cost them over $600,000 to bring Kenneth Vermeer here because they had to use allocation money to fund the deal. I don't know if there was a transfer fee or if there was some sort of uh, situation with the club in, in Holland or whether that was just his salary. We do know that it cost them over $600,000 because allocation money was used. He he played only eight games this year, gave up two goals a game. He was supposed to be the guy who replaced Tyler Miller. Tyler Miller made about $80,000 a season last year. Now he got a raise. He didn't get uh, he didn't get a raise up to 600,000. So you look at Vermeer versus Tyler Miller. Tyler Miller was undefeated in the five games he played this year before a hip injury. Um, and Kenneth Vermeer lost his starting job and gave up two goals a game. So again, uh, some really questionable financial moves that LAFC made heading into this season. And, and I think it's one reason why the season went so poorly for them. You know, they, they, they led the uh, MLS in goals again. This is the second year in a row they led MLS in scoring, but they had the worst defensive season they've ever had. Um, only two playoff teams gave up more goals per game than LAFC. It was a terrible, terrible defensive season because they didn't have Tyler Miller and they didn't have Walker Zimmerman. I think that was a big part of it. And I say all that and bring up the financial part because while Thornton didn't have a lot of decisions to make about contracts, as we said, the deal with Murillo, a lot of these other uh, contract decisions were made in the pre-pandemic days when, when you know money was more readily available. I think LAFC has a real money issue on their hands. And I think that's one reason why Bradley Wright Phillips didn't have his option picked up. And I say all that because when the transfer window opens, watch LAFC carefully. Um, I think Diego Rossi may be on the move. He's talked about going to Europe. His price is never going to be higher than it is right now. MLS golden boot winner. You know, when Carlos Vela comes back, Diego Rossi doesn't lead the team in scoring. So this is when LAFC needs to move Diego Rossi and he wants to go and he's getting frustrated, but they're not going to get pre-pandemic money for him. I mean, they will sell him for a lot of money. They could have probably got more if, every team in Europe wasn't dealing with empty stands as well. So I, I do think LAFC has some financial issues and I do think you're going to see, see them selling players. I think Rossi's the one that would probably bring in the most money. Um, um, so I, when you look at the roster, LAFC has 21 players signed for next year. I don't think we see the roster that we we're looking at right now. I don't think that's the roster they open the season with. Yeah. I think, I think that I'm reading right here. That the email says 20 players, 20, 20, 20, 21. Um, just to hit on a, a few things. The Vermeer situation, if there was, if the transaction, let's just put it, obviously we don't know what he got paid, but the transaction is north of 600000 right? The transaction, whether they paid him and they bought him, um, essentially to get that player to LAFC, you paid 
north of 600,000 to essentially be your bench player. Obviously, at the start of the season, he was your uh, he was your number one. I think they were still battling. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but they were still. I think Vermeer had started. They were still battling. Um, but I think looking back now, how the season has played out, we saw Pablo Cisnegas is clearly Bob's number one option. We saw him start against the Seattle Sounders. And yeah, the financial situation on spending so much money and bringing a player for him only to sit on, uh, to come off to be a bench player doesn't, uh, it's not going to sit well with a lot of fans and, you know, with, what, with how you're spending that money. Obviously, you can, uh, you can expect a Vermeer to be your keeper, but I also think there needs to be a little bit more vetting. Um, there could have been a little bit more vetting of Vermeer because I, I looked at his stats. Uh, I think he played in Holland. And he, he got scored on a lot. He got scored on a lot. Obviously, when he came here to the MLS, first couple of games looked solid. But we we saw him make rookie-type mistakes when he's a 30-plus-year-old 30, 30 veteran. And I don't know how much of the vetting process went in to bringing him here and knowing what type of – you're going to get a solid goalkeeper to find out he's going to be your bench goalkeeper. But a, a thing that I will credit John Thornton and LASC is, you know, they went out and recruited a player like Danny Masewski from USL. Danny Masewski, when I interviewed, he said that the only person that knew of him was John Thornton. John Thornton personally recruited him to come play for LASC. And we've seen that look look very promising. It's, obviously, they, they brought him back. They picked up his option to come back next, next season. And like you said, it's not really going to cost him that much. But I think moving forward, coming this transfer window, um, we are going to have to pay attention to LAFC because Brian Rodriguez's agent has been very vocal about getting him uh, to Europe. Diego Rossi had his best season in the MLS. Excuse me. So I think those two players are going to be on the move. Um, whether right now transfer transfer market has Diego Rossi close to $20 million dollars we know that any team is any European team that that doesn't have money coming in is not going to want to pay twenty million, close to twenty million dollars for an MLS player. I could be wrong, but I also think it, it comes down to um, where, say, for hypothetically speaking, speaking, Rossi and Rodriguez go for LAFC's model to work. You want them to go to one of the. The you know the top European leagues, right? You want them to go to London. I mean, England, uh, Germany, Spain. You want it, you want them to. They want their players to go there because it, it proves that their model works. But are how much are they willing to sell these players for? I don't think Brian Rodriguez is happy with uh, with uh, LAFC. I don't think Brian Rodriguez and Bob Bradley get along. I know Rossi, like you said, this is the point to sell high, but how high are you going to be able to sell them? We know there was a lot of interest from Brian Rodriguez in the last transfer window. So I think those those two players, uh, LAFC is really going to be shopping and see seeing what they can get out of them this this winter window. Uh, well, I, I know Syria A teams in Italy had a lot of interest in in both players before. I don't know how serious that interest was, but uh, I think maybe Italy will be involved. Another guy to look at is Latif Blessing. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of talk about him having a deal to go to Vasco uh, in Brazil. Um, that was reported several times as having been done in the in the press in Ghana, where Latif Blessing is from. That deal was reported as done. There's a, a couple of issues. One is uh, he apparently misses his family back in Ghana. I don't know if I haven't talked to him about that. I don't know how true that is. So you say, well, why go to Brazil? 
um, when his family's in Ghana, that doesn't, you know, doesn't help. Well, look at the map. Ghana is really, uh, the way Brazil sticks out and, and, and uh, with the African continent right there, it's a much closer trip from Brazil to Ghana mm -hmm. than it is from the United States to Ghana. So he does get closer. Um, there was a game, if you remember, I think it was in San Jose or maybe Portland, um, um, where Latif Blessing was not injured and did not make that trip. Yeah. And uh, I, I've been told that that was Latif Blessing expressing some displeasure over how the team was handling talks yep. with Bosco. Same. Uh, uh, just, I, just let me let me just sit on that. I don't. I, I talked to a, I talked to a Brazilian uh, reporter. They told me that he's not. That's not going to happen because Vasco doesn't have any money. Vasco was interested, but they they don't have the money to pay LFC because LFC was going to want to get money out, out of this deal. But I, I'm with you. Uh, Latif Blessing was not happy during that whole situation because that's what I also heard. He was not happy with LFC and how they handled that situation. And to what you said, uh, wh whether it's his wife or family, who the, he was he is trying to get to the U.S. Uh, that that is something that I think Latif Blessing is still dealing with, and I don't know. And I could see Latif Blessing being on the move as well. But those would be three key pieces of LAFC, and they would have to fill those three key pieces. Well, let's look at Latif again. I don't think he went back to right back after that um, uh, sit down strike, which to me says that Latif Blessing was angry about a number of different things. I'm a midfielder. You guys got me at outside back i want to go to another team you guys won't even talk to them um that may have been part of those negotiations where it's like okay we can't sell you right now um uh, but at least we won't play it right back anymore I, I could be wrong but my recollection is he did not play right back yeah, after I, that i think game. i'm with you on that um and, and the other thing is 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 um yeah it you know maybe vasco doesn't have the money that the the reporters in ghana thought they had or maybe they they, they couldn't make uh, lafc's price you know, things have changed. The next season is going to start without fans in the stands, probably. Um, Dr. Fauci is saying it may be late summer until there's fans in the stands. So LAFC is looking at 20 to 25 games without fans in the stands. Um, you know, as we said, this is going to cause some financial issues. They have a guy who has already signed. Um, they can't lower his contract. Um, yeah, maybe Vasco doesn't have the money they originally thought they did. But does LAFC entertain... Uh, you know, an offer of any kind, even if it's uh, much lower than they wanted, just to get a signed player, you know, uh, who signed pre-pandemic, uh, pre-pandemic contract to get him off the payroll. He's unhappy, get him out of the Dodge, you know, if he doesn't want to be here and, and, and take whatever money Vasco can give them and call it a day. Um, you're right. I mean, they may not have the money that LAFC wants, but they have some money and that may be enough. Yeah, I don't think it'd be. I don't. As from what I'm hearing, I don't think Vasco is going to be the team. But I, I do see a lot of interest from any other team, whether wherever they come from, or wherever the world. Uh, Latif Blessing is a very. Uh, I call him the X factor. You, you can play him obviously anywhere. If he was a little taller, LAC could probably play him uh, uh, as a goalkeeper. But I think LAFC would be interested. Uh, and moving him if they got the money they want to get from him. Um, because if you, if you, but you also got to think if LAFC loses Latif Blessing, they're losing a lot. He's, he's been a focal point in that midfield. If you lose Latif Blessing, you, you sell, um, I guess you sell Brian Rodriguez and Diego Rossi. Those are three key players. And who is going to fill up those voids? They're, they're not, they're not also going to have to sell, but they're also going to have to spend a little bit of money to fill those voids and where, where are those going to play? Where are the players are? Are they going to get those players? Are they going to get them from USL? 
Are they going to get them from MLS? Are they going to go back back down to South America where they've, where they've had, um, you know, some type of success bringing uh, young South, South American players? So I think what I could see for LAFC is a sell and also buy low. It just depends is, is if Brian Rodriguez and Diego Rossi move. I'm very interested in what clubs they end up at and who is going to fill the voice. Cause I don't think Chirori or uh, um, who's a 16 year old Christian Torres uh, is, is ready to fill those shoes just yet. Well, Moose obviously would figure in that, but, and, and that's why, again, I, I think they're going to keep Bradley Wright Phillips uh, close um, because they may need him. I, the, it'll be interesting to see, as you said, you, you know, if Brian Rodriguez and, and Diego Rossi both move, um, because that that really leaves LA with very little um, experience up front. They have Carlos Vela, but who plays with him? Um, at times, he looks like he's a one-man show, but he really isn't. I mean, Diego Rossi has been so key to his success. Um, losing both Rossi and Rodriguez in the same offseason uh, would really, really be, uh, you know, leave LAFC with a big hole to fill um, and would really put a lot of pressure on Moose and Christian Torres, who, as you said, is 16. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if both go. Um, and, and I think that would then establish the fact that LAFC really needs the cash. Um, my, my, my feeling going into this is sort of like one of them goes, and I think it's Rossi. I think it would be Rossi because I think he brings more money and he's the older player and he's the one that wants to, to go. But, um, you know, if what you're saying is true about Brian Rodriguez having a bad relationship with, um, with Bob Bradley, I mean, if that's true, then again, same thing with Blessing. Why do you want to keep an unhappy player uh, if he doesn't want to be here and you can get some money for him? The other thing with Rossi too is he's going to bring much more money than, um, mm-hmm. than Brian Rodriguez. Yep. You know, may, maybe twice as much money on the open market. Yeah, no, no, and I and I agree. Uh, I just I just know that that's how vocal uh, Brian Rodriguez' agent has been. I just some of the bad body language. Um, we also didn't see uh, Brian Rodriguez start for LAFC in their last uh, season. Uh, a season game at the Bank of California versus Portland Timber, the Portland Timbers. He didn't, he didn't start Christian Torres started over him. So I think you, if you can read between the lines, that kind of tells you a lot there. And I'm also interested. Well, I think another thing that I'm going to be very interested is, is, is Brian Rodriguez and Diego Rossi going to be interested in coming back and playing CONCACAF. And I do understand they're on, they're still in a contract, but I wonder, I wouldn't be surprised if either one of those two players decides not to come back and not play for risk of potential injury or something. Um, do you, could you see that? Well, as you said, they're under contract. So basically they, if the team says play, they have to play mm-hmm. now. Um, if they fake an injury, if they're clearly not motivated, um, uh, you know, would a young player want to do that? I mean, let, let, let's just say that Diego Rossi at 22 says, uh, I'm, I'm injured. I'm not going to play. Uh, you remember Mario Goetze did that uh, when in Germany, when he was going to jump, uh, I think he was going from Dortmund to Byron Munich and it was a Champions League final. And he said that he was injured and didn't play because he didn't want to play against the team he was going to. He'd already agreed to a very lucrative offer, didn't want to play against that team and didn't want to get hurt. That that story still follows him. The mm-hmm. fact that in, a, in the biggest game of the year, he didn't play for his team that was still paying him. Um, I don't know that that would be advice that I would give to either Rossi or Rodriguez at this age to pull some of kind of a, of a stunt like that. Um, so I do think that they, that they're obligated to play, whether, you know, whether they're going to cause problems, whether again, it's uh, you know, they're un, unhappy and, and why force the issue. Yeah. You I wonder how that, motivated they are to play 
this term. Yeah, no, well, that's a different know. issue. That's a different issue. I mean, they may not be motivated, but I would still say an unmotivated Diego Rossi is probably better right now than a motivated Christian Torres. So I would, mm-hmm. I would play him in that game. They may look at it as, hey, you know, there are three teams in Italy that are looking at me. If I score a hat trick against Cruz Azul, um, my price goes up. You know, they could look yeah. at it the other way. I know in college bowl games, a lot of times players, the regular season's over and, and they're getting ready to go in the NFL draft and they simply don't play in the bowl games. But they're college players. They're not getting paid for that. Um, these guys are under contract and the contract says you need to play for our team through December 31st. Um, I, I kind of see the flip side of that more rather than not wanting to play. I think you see them wanting to play and maybe being a little bit selfish, wanting to score a lot of goals so that the price goes up. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't see that from Diego Rossi. I could potentially see that coming from Brian Rodriguez. Again, th- that's just pure speculation. I don't have no information on that. So I just, I just want to be clear. Um, but I also think the team that LAOC comes with next year, just to finish on the la- this last point, they have to, they haven't been able to get over the hump of Seattle Sounders in the last back-to-back seasons. And what other, what, what, what players that, whatever players they bring back next season, um, you know, you're going to know you're going to have to face Seattle Sounders one way or another, because we can assume that they're going to be in the playoffs. So I think they've been in the playoffs every single year since they've been a franchise. So Seattle's not going anywhere. And I think there's also needs to be maybe, I don't know if it's tactical. I don't know if it's players uh, adjustment in order to beat Seattle Sounders, who I think, is the best team in MLS. Do you see it that way? Well, I definitely think that Seattle is the best. I think that that they may have to go on the road to play Sporting Kansas City. That would be a problem. You know, Seattle hasn't lost a home playoff game since 2014. Um, They're just uh, fantastic at home. And so when LAFC got that date to go there, you know, you kind of knew their playoffs were over. The problem I see with LAFC, and and I'm not going to second-guess Bob Bradley at all. I think he's, he's, uh, you know, I, I love Bruce Arena, but Bob Bradley's right there. He's, and and Bob Bradley has done it internationally too. Um, so, uh, you know, I have nothing but praise for Bob Bradley. But I, I would say that when you look at LAFC, its first three seasons, they played great. This season was a little bit different with COVID and everything else. You really can't draw conclusions, I don't think, from this season. But if you look at the first two, they played so well at the beginning and through the middle of the season. And then they kind of we're a different team say in September and October and then into the playoffs. Um, I don't know whether it was squad rotation, whether it was fatigue. I don't know what the deal was, but to me, they seem to be a different team late in the season and they looked exhausted in the playoffs, the playoff loss they had to Seattle last year at home. They didn't look like the same team. And the year before that game with real salt Lake, I thought they looked terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, they just seemed to be at their worst at the most important time of the season. Um, and you know, even the MLS's they, back tournament as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, are they putting too much emphasis on, on games in July and August trying to win supporter shield or whatever. And maybe, maybe there should be more squad rotation. Maybe they should have a deeper roster. Uh, I, I don't know what the remedy is. Um, and, and I'm not going to suggest anything to Bob Bradley. He he's a genius and I'm sure that he'll figure it out. Um, but I, I would just like to see LAFC be a little bit stronger at the end of the season and get and 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 really start clicking for when it matters most. They just really haven't even shown up for the playoffs the last uh, end of three seasons. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think Seattle. I think Brian Schmitzer has definitely figured out the best way to beat Bob Bradley and adjust. Not saying that Bob Bradley can't uh, beat Brian Schmitzer. I just think when it comes to those 
those one-off games, those those knockout games, there's no secret they've struggled. I'm just curious to see what weapons they bring in next year uh, for next year's MLS Cup playoffs. Um, but yeah, that, that's going to wrap up uh, LAFC. Now I just want to talk a little bit about LA Galaxy. We don't have to get in too much of the offseason, but I, I do want to talk about the players that got called up for the U.S. men's national team. We have uh, Julian Araujo, uh, Efrain Alvarez, and Sebastian Leger. It's an MLS uh, camp for the players that weren't able to be in Europe. Uh, I just want to read a quote that Greg, Greg Berhalter, the head coach of the U.S. men's national team, said about Efrain. He said, quote, he looks much more physically fit. I think he was able to impact games for longer this season, and it was unfortunate that he didn't play more. Very, very creative player, has a good change of pace, very good in tight spaces. So he's he's praising uh, Efrain Alvarez. Uh, I, mean, I, I don't we don't know if he will play because I think uh, the I think he has to put it in a request to switch because he played for the youth uh, Mexican national youth in the youth World Cup. So I don't think from what I'm reading on Twitter and from what I saw, I'm not sure if he will play. Um, but I think this is a great opportunity for him to see the culture of the U.S. men's national team. It's, it's a young team. We saw what they did in, uh, in Europe we, with the Europe-based team. And he can, he can now compare with the Mexican national team who he's been with for most of his career. And now with the U.S. men's national team, given it's an MLS-based uh, squad. Um, what do you think about Efrain Alvarez with the U.S. men's team? And what do you think about the other players, other Galaxy players? Well, there's a lot going on with Efrain Alvarez. As you said, he played for Mexican youth national teams in an official FIFA tournament in an age group World Cup. So he is cap tied to Mexico because of that. Now he can file a one time, he gets to do it once, change of affiliation to come back to the U.S. He started his international career playing for U.S. uh, youth national teams. I think he played in the U15 uh, team three times and he's played 13 times for Mexico uh, for their youth national teams. But because he did play in that one competitive FIFA tournament, he does have to um, change affiliations. Once he does that, he is he he can't go back. If he decides he wants to play for Mexico or for the U.S. rather, he can't go back to Mexico. So um, I don't think he'll play against El Salvador. I think he'd be foolish to make that decision now unless he's been talking about it for a long time. Um, Greg Berhalter, what he's talked about with the, with many dual nationals, but especially with, with cap-tied dual nationals like Efrain, is he wants to bring them in, have them look around, see how they do things, see if he likes the coaching staff, see if he likes the the, the way they train. Just, t- you know, kick the tires on the deal a little bit. See if he's comfortable. Greg Berhalter said, I am not going to try to pressure these guys. I'm not going to make the decision for them. It's That's up to them and their families. And I don't want anybody who doesn't want to play for the U.S. They have to feel motivated. Um, so he's trying to convince Efrain that there's a place here for him. Now, what are some of the things that Efrain is going to think about? Well, one is he could probably walk right on to the U.S. team for the um, Olympics. The Olympics are a U23 tournament. Efrain is 18. Um, he could play for the U.S. then. I, I, I don't know right now whether Efrain has a place on the senior national team. That's pretty deep in the midfield already. But certainly he would be a contender for a spot in that Olympic team, as would Julian Araujo. Julian Araujo is not cap-tied. Mexico is very interested in him as well. Um, so Julian Rajo probably will play against El Salvador, or at least uh, suit up. What's really interesting to me, though, is that the U.S. has so many dual, dual nationals. Um, there were four guys called into this camp that could play for Mexico. Uh, another one could play for Chile. Uh, the camp they had in Europe, there were 11 players that were dual nationals. 
Um, but with Mexico, especially Mexico, as you know, has come across the border many times and taken top American players into their youth national team program. Um, I think this is Greg Berhalter sort of firing a shot across the bow at Mexico saying, we can do that too. Mm -hmm. We're going to take Efrain out of your youth program and we're going to put him on the U.S. team. I don't think it's so much to say hands off, but I think it's an idea. Perhaps a thought is this means war. We're, we're going to fight for our guys now. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think he has a tough decision to make. Uh, Efrain, obviously, you know, having dual, being able to choose whether Mexico or U.S. On the Mexico side, I mean, it, 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 there's competition on both on both nations. I don't think he... I don't, I don't, I don't think he, he, he even makes the, the men's uh, now there's so much, there's so much talent for me. I could see him having more success with the U S team, with the Mexican national team. I think there's just so much step in the position he plays and how Tata Martino wants to play. And I don't, I don't know if I can see Efrain break into that, you know, 18 or 22 or 23 man senior roster, um, I could be wrong, but I see him, and I know how much talent the U.S. men's national young talent has. But I think he ha he does have um, uh, a easier. Is that the right word? I don't know. Uh, uh, more uh, more of a chance, I should say, with the men's national team. And I think that's why he went. I think that's why he went to see. Let, let me see what I can do here. Let me get a feeling for Greg Berhalter. Let me see how they do things here. I see all the young players, you know, that playing in Barcelona, playing in, you know in Germany and stuff. And let me see if I can squeak in here potentially for the men's national team here in a couple of years, or, you know, I think he's really, uh, you know, looking at his options. And for a while, you know, we knew that the U S men's national team, uh, when they didn't make the 2018, uh, world cup, they weren't really looked at as, you know, a, a nation that you wanted to go play for because of how, you know, they didn't make it. But now I think the U S men's national team really looks attractive. And I think Efrain Alvarez is, is going to go with this training camp, seeing what they have to offer. And then potentially going to have a uh, tough decision to make moving forward. Well, another thing with Mexico is they're ranked ninth in the world right now. Yeah, um, they're, they're a lot of depth. Uh, they're, much, they're, they're a much better team than the U.S. Uh, right now. I think potentially the U.S. Uh, can be very good with all these young players. But my point is, under Tato Martino, they stopped that progress that they were making on uh, rejuvenating the team. They had one of the oldest rosters at the World Cup in Russia and uh, their team is still pretty old. I think their last call, they had seven or eight players over the age of 30. Um, Efrain Alvarez doesn't fit in with that team. He fits in with the young roster that Mexico mm -hmm. had originally started to play with after the Olympics when they brought up a lot of these young players under the interim coach. But now with Tato Martino, they've gone back to the old guard. This is the team, clearly, I think they're going to take the cutter. Um, so there's not going to be a lot of new guys breaking into, into that team. And then after Cutter, I think they're going to go back and, and they, they, they'll, they have to. They won't have a choice. They'll have to redo the team and bring up some young players. Um, those players, are, it seems to me, those players are not even getting call-ups right now. So it's going to be uh, a, a program after Cutter. The Mexican national team, I think, is going to be a program in flux. I don't know that, that um, that's going to be necessarily a good situation. He would definitely get opportunities to play for the main team. But imagine if he decided to go with the U.S. and spent these next two years ingratiating himself with the senior team, maybe earning a spot playing in the Olympics. He, his career would be two years ahead of where it will be if he waits um, for Mexico. He may decide, look, I, I'm not going to be in the Look at all these 20-year-old U.S. players. I'm not going to fit into that midfield. It's better for me to wait for 
Jonathan Dos Santos to retire and play in the midfield in Mexico in two years, it's much better to wait. Or he may look at it and say, I can compete with these guys. Let's get the competition started now. Um, I hope he doesn't make the decision this week. I hope he waits uh, and, and thinks it over because I think it is a tough decision and it came on him uh, kind of rapidly. Uh, it is interesting, though, that this is taking place at a time when Dennis DeClose is the general manager of the Galaxy, uh, Alvarez's yeah. club team, and he ran the youth programs in Mexico, the ones that recruited Efrain Alvarez years ago. Uh, now that general manager is there and Efrain's going to play for the U.S., yeah, no, no, it's very interesting. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. And I'm with you. I don't, I don't think he'll make a decision this week. Uh, just to finish off, uh, Joe Naranjo, obviously we know he plays our right back. There's a lot of depth with this U.S. men's national team at that right back position. Serginho Des, who plays for uh, Barcelona. You also got Reggie Cannon. I think he plays for a Portugal team. Um, and then there's a couple other players. DeAndre Yellen, that could be uh, there. So I'm very interested to see um, – how Julian Araujo plays. We know how he plays. We've seen him. We get to see him here with the LA Galaxy. But I'm interested to see if he does earn a spot with uh, the the Olympic team. Uh, I think that that is. Uh, well, he can make an he can make make the roster for the for the men's national team. But I think that that right back is is has a lot of depth, and I think uh, the Europe plans uh, European players. Uh, you know, you have three or four on e- on each side that you can go with. Um, I'm very interested to see how Joel Araujo plays um, with with the U.S. men's national team. How effective he is. We know how physical he can get, but we also want to. I think we want. I would also want to see, depending on how much playing time he gets, more of a mature Julian Araujo because we know down the down the end of the season. I think even the last game he got a red card. Um, so I think that's something he definitely wants to avoid. I think Greg Berhalter wants to see the physicality, but also make smart decisions and not let anything like a red card or, you know, an aggressive yellow card take him out of his rhythm. Well, that right back position is the most important position in my mind uh, in the structure that Greg Berhalter plays. In his first games as national team coach, he used Nick Lima from San Jose in that position. And um, the, the position really is a winger. He likes to have that right back come up and tuck into the midfield um, so on the attack, he becomes an extra attacker, but then he has to get back and play defense. He's almost like a fifth midfielder. And then he has to get back and play defense. It's a very physical position. Um, uh, you know, a lot of stamina needed to play that position. And you talk about Julian Araujo being on the Olympic team. I think you'll see the Olympic team play the exact same style. The, the, the senior men's team play. Otherwise, how do you know if these players are going to fit in the senior national mm-hmm. team? So I think you see them play the same style. But um, as good as Julian Araujo has been at playing at the position, and he can play that right, uh, that right winger, a guy that can tuck in on the attack. But guess what? Ser- Serginho Dents is uh, a year older than Araujo. He's age eligible for the Olympics as well. So, um, you know, Julian Araujo, if he makes the Olympic team, may find himself on the bench there as well. Because, I mean, it, you know, the, the Spanish press are going crazy about guest at, at Barcelona saying that he's the best player they've had there since Danny Alves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's only going to, he's only going to get better if, if he decides to play for the Olympic team. And that's a big if, because uh, the Olympic tournament is not a, it not, does not take place during a FIFA window. Teams do not have to release their players. Um, so we'll see whether Barcelona allows him to skip preseason camp and go play in the Olympics. Mm, that'll be interesting. Yeah. Lot, lots of things going on. 
Uh, well, Kevin, I think that's it. Oh, last thing, last thing. Pavone saying thank you on his on his Facebook. He said thank you on his Facebook to Barcelona. He said gracias. No, to, to Bo- Boca. Boca, Boca. Sorry, I'm getting the, the bees in. He said Boca, uh, gracias Boca. If we read between the lines, that's saying he's not going back to Boca. And if he's not going back to Boca, then he's coming back to L.A. Well, they they, they wanted Boca originally started these conversations at 20 million and and uh, that was never going to happen. The Galaxy officials I talked to laughed when they heard that figure. They said that's what Boca wants. They're not going to get it. The Galaxy countered at 8 million. Um, so I was told by a Galaxy person that 10 million is the price that they were going to settle on. Um, the Galaxy didn't offer 10 million right off the bat because then Boca is going to, you know, bargain, yeah. right? So uh, I, I think they're probably going to, I think they probably are going to reach a deal around 10 million. Maybe the deal's already been done. That, that was my, that's what I'm thinking. I, I was going to ask, do you think, I think the deal may be done. Well, think- and, and, and it's interesting because the Galaxy took care of all their other contract options and, and all that is done. They know how much money they have left to spend. They're not bringing Yanni Gonzalez back, for example. Chicharito, Jonathan Dos Santos, they're signed. The Galaxy have a pretty good idea of how much money they have to spend. Um, so it would not surprise me that once they made those contract announcements that they would turn to Boca and say, okay, we have this amount of money. Do you want it? Boca certainly wanted the $20 million, and they thought at one point they might have been able to get it from Europe. Boca is like LAFC a little bit. They're having a lot of financial problems. And so as much as they wanted the $20 million, you know, $10 million looks better than nothing. And if they yeah. took Pavone back, they would get nothing. So mm-hmm. um, I always thought the Galaxy would make a deal. I, uh, You know, like you, I'm, I, I'm guessing one, there's been progress made on one. We don't know know if it's done yet but Pavone's agent also was was laying a lot of groundwork for that by saying he's really happy in the United States he really wants to stay in the United States again putting Boca in that position of not only giving up 10 million dollars but taking back a player that doesn't want to be there exactly yeah well we'll we'll see what happens with the next couple days maybe the next couple weeks um but Kevin that's all we have uh for the people that already don't follow you let the people know where they can follow you it's Baxter K11 uh, K Baxter 11 at uh, on Twitter and then at the LA Times, latimes.com. Guys, if you guys enjoyed this episode, make sure to give us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts. Uh, that's going to wrap things up uh, for this episode. For Kevin, this is Gio. We'll catch you guys next time. Peace.